0: Ready. Okay.
1: You are listening to America's Home for stadium news and information. Stadiums USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action. Here's Bill Hazen. Raiders owner Mark Davis appears to be talking out of both sides of his mouth. On the one hand, he says his team is ready to move to Las Vegas. On the other, work continues on a deal to try and keep the Raiders in Oakland. The Bay Area sports guy Steve Berman joins us from San Francisco to read the tea leaves on how this will play out. 27 years ago this week, That was the day the earth didn't stand still, it shook throughout Northern California, turning what was supposed to be a World Series game into the nation's most riveting news story. Filmmaker John Leonidikis was there, and he shares his memories with us. Edmonton is celebrating their beautiful new hockey arena, Rogers Place. Can this magnificent structure stimulate new growth? We'll ask Graham Hicks of the Edmonton Sun. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran reports on a new London-area stadium, making its debut this weekend as an NFL venue. But first, the stadium's beat with Jeff
2: Schmidt. Jeff? Well, Bill, Mark Davis and the Raiders are the big story this week. Nevada officials have approved a funding plan for a new dome stadium to bring the team to Sin City. Davis talked with ESPN this week about his relationship with Nevada and Las Vegas officials.
3: I met with Governor Sandoval for the very first time. He looked me in the eye and he said, Are you using us for leverage to get a better deal somewhere else? I told him, I've never done that with the city. And then if they come up with what we're talking about, And we will be moving or doing our best to come to Las Vegas. It's unfair for people to keep bringing up what if Oakland does this, what if Oakland does that. Las Vegas has already done what they're supposed to do. And we just have to present it to the National Football League and get the approval to move to Las Vegas.
2: How this all plays out will depend on a vote of NFL owners. Commissioner Roger Goodell says the league could see a formal proposal from the Raiders to relocate at the next owners meetings in December or January. Dell and several owners have said, all things being equal, they would like to see teams stay in their home markets. But there is yet to be any specific proposal coming out of Oakland to keep the team in the Bay Area. Much more on this story coming up. In Los Angeles, the start of evacuation for the Rams' $2.6 billion stadium in Inglewood may be just weeks away. The stadium design has been under review by the Federal Aviation Administration for the past year. Infrastructure work has been ongoing, but the evacuation signals a major step forward for the stadium, which is scheduled to be completed in time for the 2019 season. A construction milestone is being celebrated in Atlanta. One of the final roof beams was lifted into position this week at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the new home of the Falcons. Hundreds of construction workers signed the beam before it was hoisted into place. The completion date of March 2017 has been pushed back to June of the same year. And the campaigning was hot and heavy in San Diego this week. Chargers quarterback Philip Rivers part of the contingent at a rally, supporting a new downtown stadium. We are just three weeks away from a vote on a new venue for the Chargers. Bill, that's the very latest.
1: Thanks, Jeff. It appears that there is some pressure and it is ramping up on the Oakland Raiders and the effort to keep the Raiders in Oakland. Officials in Las Vegas and Nevada have approved funding for a new stadium for the Raiders. Owner Mark Davis had a curious quote here. He called Vegas, quote, the proud new home for the entire Raider Nation, unquote. We're going to reach out to Steve Berman, the guy we know and everybody knows as the Bay Area Sports Guy. Steve's blog, Bay Area Sports Guy, is the largest independent blog covering Bay Area sports. Steve, welcome aboard via digital audio. A lot of moving parts here. How is the stadium deal that Nevada has brought forward? How is that playing in Oakland?
0: Yeah, as you said, a lot of moving parts. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's, it's really a sort of a confusing thing because of the city governments and the state governments. If you're talking about Nevada, then Nevada looks like they just greased that thing right through. Pretty quickly they went from people saying they wouldn't want to add another hotel tax to every single legislature from city on up to the governor just recently approving it. So you would think all systems go – and in Oakland, they've let everyone know that they're not going to be matching a 750 million dollar, pretty much donation for a stadium fund, which is what Nevada is going to do for a stadium that would theoretically house both the Raiders and the UNLV running Rebels football team. And you think, okay, well they'll be in Las Vegas within you know a few years, right? Well. A few things about that. It's uh, The NFL owners have to ratify such a proposal to relocate. And uh, it's not just a majority either. It's not a simple majority. 24 of the other 31 owners would have to vote yes to relocate to Sin City. So people are questioning whether or not, one, Las Vegas is a place the NFL wants to be, and two, whether they even really want Mark Davis to own the Raiders. I think that they would rather have someone there – who's a little bit higher up financially. You know, he doesn't really have that much power around the league, as we saw last year. He and Spanos wanted to go to L.A., and the NFL said, no, we're going to give that to the Rams.
1: Steve, Mark Davis has inherited a lot of the difficulties that his father had, and by association, having the same last name, even though Mark Davis didn't do it, he inherited a lot of that mess. That means that he doesn't have great relationships. In light of this and in light of a lack of money, a move to Las Vegas is not a lock. How do you size it up?
0: It's definitely not a lock. And I'd actually say it's probably more because of the money and just the overall power that Mark has. Because I, I think relationships wise, what Mark has tried to do since Al passed away is really repair a lot of those broken relationships and not just with the rest of the league. But also former Raiders players such as Marcus Allen, who famously feuded with Al Davis. I I think in terms of probably personalities and things of that nature, I don't think the NFL owners are thinking that, you know, okay, you're Davis and so you're scum and we're never going to give you what you want. I really think it's just because he's just not a very powerful and rich owner. I
1: would think there is one vote that the Raiders do have in the bag. Do you know who that is? <laughs>
0: oh, that's, that'd be the York family. I would throw those Raiders out of there. Right? <laughs> Good for
1: you. <laughs> Good for you. What are the 49ers thinking?
0: Well, the 49ers have had to deal with Levi Stadium, and really the NFL thought that they were going to be sharing that with the Raiders, perhaps. And that was a lot of what helped get that through. and, Get the money from the NFL to build it. With what's going on lately, a lot of people suggested why not just have the Raiders share Levi Stadium? And the 49ers have not said that they wouldn't do that, but obviously the 49ers would be primary tenants. And Mark Davis has again and again and again said they are not interested in sharing Levi Stadium. And then it's just like with the Giants and the A's, I mean, the, the A's ceded territory to the Giants in San Jose hoping to get them out of San Francisco mm-hmm. and to, to not have to share that little area of the Bay, that big, I should say area of the Bay area. Now the, the giants don't want to give that territory back and they would love it if the A's relocated. So yeah, if if you have a big pie, like the Bay area is, and you can have it all to yourself and yeah, all these owners would rather have it that way than share than share an area with another franchise. Steve,
1: thank you very much for the visit. It's fascinating, as always.
0: Thank you, Bill. I always appreciate being on. I, I'm at BayAreaSportsGuy.com, and yeah, it's really fun to talk about this stuff. It's ever-changing, and I think... At some point, the Raiders will have a home, but hopefully both of us will be alive to actually see what that (laughs) home
1: is. (laughs) (laughs) Steve Berman, the Bay Area sports guy. Stay tuned. Now we have a full show ahead and a lot to cover. So don't run away. Comes your way on SB Nation Radio.
2: How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need.
1: will never forget listening to the World Series in San Francisco and suddenly the earth shook. The game stopped. Everything changed. And uh, it's one heck of a story. Anybody who heard it at the time will never forget it. All of the headlines, everything changed when that huge earthquake hit Candlestick Park. And perhaps the most amazing part of it was the park held up. And we're going to talk about that with John Leonidikis, who is a San Francisco native. And a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker, he's done a lot of uh, fascinating stuff related to this. He actually worked at the stadium in the 1970s, and he was there the day that the World Series stopped. John, that had to be quite a sensation. Where were you in the ballpark? As I recall, a lot of people weren't fully seated.
3: That's right. We were about 25 minutes from uh, the game starting And um, I would say probably about 70% of the stadium was filled. I had uh, seats on the field level and um, I went to get hot dogs for my brother and I. And uh, I felt the ground shook as, as, you know, all of us natives here in California are very familiar with Mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do when you feel an earthquake. As I looked up, I saw the huge lip of the canopy of the stadium above me. And, you know, you're trying to find a place to hide from falling debris, but there was nowhere to go because so many people were coming into the stadium. So many people were trying to get to their seats, going in a thousand different directions. You're trapped. And there was absolutely nowhere to go. And I, I remember that moment. I said, boy, if that canopy comes down, I'm a dead man.
1: Actually, that stadium really, truly did meet the test. And why did it meet the test, John?
3: Well, largely it was because a few years before, some civil engineers pointed out that the stadium needed retrofitting for earthquake. Um, And so they put uh, four expansion joints around the canopy in the stadium, which many engineering experts have said that was probably a big reason why that stadium, which was much maligned over the years, uh, why it held and why we didn't have a tremendous catastrophe, which would have happened, of course, on live television.
1: You know, a lot of people have never been through an earthquake. They don't understand what it is. The land actually ripples like the water does. So if you have a huge disturbance, you get this ripple effect. Say if you're on a boat, you'll feel the waves. Isn't a uh, an earthquake very similar to that?
3: I think that's a good description there, Bill, because my brother, uh, he was sitting inside the stadium and he said he could see the sine wave through the, the ground of the field. And when it got out to the warning track, it kicked up dust from wow. the dirt off of the warning track. Uh, but yes, it was. we all we all categorize these things. They have different characteristics. This one, everybody said it was a roller. It was like being on a roller coaster. I remember my uncle, when he interviewed him, uh, he said all the cars in the parking lot looked like they were on a roller coaster.
1: Were there any sounds associated with this you could hear? Could you hear the stadium creaking or anything like that?
3: The short answer is, I think so. It's tough to remember that, because you you are hearing rumbling. And there were parts and pieces of the stadium that did break off at the top part of the canopy out in right center field. Uh, matter of fact, there's an apocryphal story about a guy who went and got a beer. And when he came back, he found a huge chunk of concrete that just obliterated his seat.
1: Wow. We are visiting with John Leonodykus, San Francisco native and a documentary filmmaker. The first time that I ever went to Candlestick Park, I attended a day-night doubleheader. In the afternoon, I can't tell you how great it was. It was a beautiful day. You know how beautiful days in San Francisco are. You can't beat them. They're absolutely wonderful. And then suddenly, (laughs) about 4.30 in the afternoon or so, between games, the two- Temperature dropped right off the table. Can you take us through the process and why this, uh, I guess, why they built the stadium there? Obviously, they never anticipated this.
3: Well, one story goes that when they were deciding where to, uh, what site to build Candlestick on was that they went out at 11 o'clock in the morning. It was a beautiful day. and They said, wow, this is a great spot for baseball. The topography through there is that there's a gap. Uh, through the hills and such there that the wind comes through that gap there. It just cut through you like a knife and nobody really accounted for it. There was a lot of question about whether there were some shady dealings going on because the gentleman that owned the land there also was the general contractor and he was also wanted his name on the stadium. And there was actually a grand jury uh, hearing about all this nonsense. That wind would come off right off the bay there and it would cut through you like a knife. I remember watching some games there and your knees would lock on you. It would be so cold. We had one position because I worked in the parking lots for five years from 70 to 75. And there was one part of the hill that was actually above the top of the stadium. We called that spot Siberia. (laughs) And I remember I was taking in the cash there. And I I, I was I was wearing gloves because it was going to be so cold. And I got yelled at because I couldn't count the money fast enough. But my hands literally turned purple. Um, It was some kind of cold and it was a miserable place. I can't imagine trying to play baseball there with all the hot dog wrappers blowing around the sting of the ball hitting the bat on your hands. Mm. Uh, And of course, we've, we've heard many stories about players saying how much they hated playing there. What
1: do you miss about candlestick?
3: When it was a nice day out there and you were able to watch a ball game, whether it's the 49ers or the Giants, it was delightful. But I think for a kid growing up there, it's it's a place where you have a lot of nostalgia. That's where all my heroes lived. Willie Mays, Juan Marischal, and Willie McCovey. Mm -hmm. I would always get a a tingle as we drove by it on the freeway. It was a magic castle. It was a beautiful place. And I think that's what I remember about it. And when I grew older and I had to work out there in the rain and the cold – I don't miss that part at all.
1: Took two stadiums to replace it, obviously, AT&T Park and Levi's Stadium. Uh, You've been in both, I am sure. Did they get those stadiums uh, right as successors to Candlestick Park?
3: Um, I've, I've not been to the 49ers' new stadium in Santa Clara. I hear it's very nice. Um, I have been to AT&T and Park a number of times, and it is widely known as one of the best stadiums in Major League Baseball to watch a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sight lines, it's all part of the new generation of smaller stadiums, capacity of 42,000, great sight lines, and not to mention a remarkable vista outside of the park. They did a beautiful job integrating it into the landscape and culture of San Francisco. Uh, a marvelous upgrade.
1: Well, we certainly recommend to everybody the documentary, The Day the World Series Stopped. John, how did they get it?
3: Uh, you can go to the film's website, Day World Series Stopped. You can order it there, and i um, happy to fulfill it for you.
1: John, we want to thank you so much for the visit. This is a fascinating story, The Day the World Series Stopped. Good luck with it. Thanks very much, Bill, and thanks for having me. Now, when we return, Mark Madoran and I will talk shop. So stay tuned. That is coming up next here on SB
2: Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, And every month, you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all of the essentials you need.
1: It is time to talk shop once again. And in steps Mark Medoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website. May we remind you, Stadiums USA is the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. Check it out at stadiumsusa.com. And also, while you're at it, check out the podcasts of Stadiums USA Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And subscribe to us on iTunes and, of course, listen each week on SB Nation Radio. Mark, the NFL returns to London this weekend, but when the Giants and the Rams battle across the pond, it won't be in the familiar Wembley Stadium where we've seen so many of these games. Instead, the league is expanding its European footprint with a game in a suburban venue, and so preview this for us.
4: Well, I was surprised to see the NFL moving away from Wembley Stadium because that's been used for every NFL game up to now, and that's 15 games over the last 10 years. The new venue, Twickenham Stadium, has basically been a rugby stadium for 107 years, Mm -hmm. and this is the first time for an NFL game. The Twickenham location is markedly different from Wembley. It's a suburban residential venue. Because rugby teams have smaller rosters, there's no... Football locker room in the stadium. So the Rams, who are the home team, will be changing in a gym, and the Giants will be using an adjacent reception hall. Kind of like when they played football in high school Yeah, those years. (laughs) The Twickenham Stadium is also going to have some seating issues with the lower levels of seats unused because of sideline obstructions. So they'll be probably empty in those first couple of rows. Uh, Expected capacity should be about 75,000. And over the next few years, Twickenham is scheduled to be used twice a year for NFL action. Mark, I saw
1: some interesting news that politicians feel that the state of Texas is now in play in the upcoming election, and uh, some officials are starting to spend some money there on advertising. What is interesting is how this could affect a vote which has little to do with the political election, but has a lot to do with that new ballpark in Arlington, Texas. That is on on the docket the dome ballpark for the Rangers what's the speculation on that mark
4: well recent polls of voters in Arlington that have to decide the fate of that project for the Rangers show a dead heat between those for and those against hmm. when they looked at the numbers it looked that each side held about 42 percent of the vote with at this point 16 percent of voters undecided the city is committed to paying 50% of the cost, estimated to be about $500 million of the $1 billion that the ballpark should cost. But with the Rangers losing to Toronto in the playoffs, any emotional momentum seems to have been lost. The Rangers will be keeping the money from corporate naming rights, which is uh, uh, going to be about $12 million a year. Mm-hmm. And of that, they'll pay about $2 million a year in rent. Uh, some officials have estimated that construction costs have been dramatically underestimated, and they think a new ballpark will go for more like 1.6 billion, well over the 1 billion that they were originally working with. So. Sure. We'll have to wait and see what happens on Election Day.
1: Yeah, indeed. There's a lot on the docket in Arlington, Texas. Mark, let's uh, wind back the time machine here now and take a look at some significant stadium and ballpark events
4: this week in stadium history. Well, this week, 1974, the first NBA game at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis as the Pacers beat the San Antonio Spurs. The Pacers, along with the Spurs, the Nuggets, and the Nets, would play their first season in the NBA in 1974 after surviving the ABA's dismantling. Mm -hmm. Also 1974, the Detroit Pistons beat the Trailblazers in Portland. It would be Detroit's last victory in Portland until 1990, some 16 years later. The Blazers' home floor was Veterans Memorial Coliseum, an arena known as a death trap for visiting teams. Bill, what can you tell us about the old home of the Blazers? Well, I did that. I also did
1: a lot of games out of uh, the arena we mentioned just before this, uh, Market Square Arena. I know them both very well. It was very tough to win in Portland. I think one of Kevin Lockery's proudest victories as a coach of the Chicago Bulls was a four-overtime game. Michael Jordan was a rookie. And they went out there, and they won at Memorial Coliseum. It's the only time I ever saw Kevin Lockery skip off the court at happiness. He knew how hard it was. It, 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 uh, the fans are tight. Uh, they were revved up. Uh, great, great fans in Portland. And uh, you're very close to the action. it was a pretty small
4: building, too. Okay, Bill, here we go. This week, Stadiums USA Quiz, All right. located on stadiumsusa.com. We have a quiz question for you. And this is a tough one. Nearly all NFL and college football stadiums feature the slingshot style goalpost, mm-hmm. which is a single post curved up from the ground to support the crossbar and uprights. But not all stadiums. One of the following college football stadiums features the older traditional offset goalposts with two posts in the ground. Can you name which one? And here are your choices. Okay. Number one, Notre Dame Stadium. Number two, Nyland Stadium at the University of Tennessee. Number three, Tiger Stadium on the campus of LSU. And number four, Ross Aid Stadium at Purdue University. Well,
1: I thought long and hard about this. I know it's not Notre Dame, and I don't believe it's Ross Aid Stadium. My guess is that it's Neeland Stadium at the University of
4: Tennessee. That's a great guess, <sighs> <Uh-oh>. but wrong. <laughs> 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 it is beautiful. Tiger Stadium on the campus of LSU. Fans get pretty cranked up about everything that happens down there.
1: Mark, as always, it is a pleasure. Give us your sign-out public address announcement.
4: Enjoy college football this fall at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, Brigham Young (laughs) University, Provo, Utah. Oh, that's a good one.
1: Coming up, Mark, the Edmonton Oilers have dropped the puck on a new season. We go to Edmonton's new Rogers Place. I've been watching this place on the live cam as they've built it. It's fascinating. We're going to get the skinny on this brand-new arena, and it's next right here on SB Nation Radio. There is a building that we've been telling you about and keeping an eye on for a long time during the construction phase. It is north of the border in beautiful Edmonton, the $500 million Rogers Place. This building is now complete, and it is a beauty. I've watched the live cams as they've built it. We're going to go north of the border and find out more about it, and a revitalization project that is associated with it. We're going to visit with Graham Hicks, longtime journalist for the Edmonton Sun. Graham, it is great to visit with you, and uh, I know, obviously, everyone in Edmonton has been keeping an eye on this project. Let's just talk about it from Visually seeing it, I think this is the one of the most stunning arenas ever built. Can you describe it for us?
5: Yeah, the architects did a splendid job. Reasonably small footprint. From looking from above, it almost looks as like a oh, what's the right word? Almost like a snail with a you know nicer oval shape, and then mm-hmm. what what he called the Ford Hall or Winter Garden room going over as a public space emerging out of the building and kind of flowing over one of our main streets and then down into an area that's going to become a downtown plaza full of restaurants and skating rinks and whatnot. Uh, It's very, very sleek, has beautiful lines to it. It's as if you're looking at a gorgeous new airplane coming off the line.
1: What were the circumstances which led to this building being built?
5: One name, Daryl Cates, the, the owner of the Ebbington Oilers, bought it about, oh, I'm a while now, he bought the team about 10 years ago from a group of local businessmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a billionaire quite easily, made his money in the, the drug business with the Rexall chain and many other uh, drug chains. From the moment he bought the team, he was talking about a new arena. And not only was he talking about a new arena, this uh, Beryl Cates is an Edmontonian. He grew up here, he's sort of far and away the most storied person to come out of this city. But he does have, one would say, a passion for the city, and he saw a downtown arena. We had lots of space downtown. I thought run down downtown that just needed, was getting there, but really needed enough. Mm-hmm. And he said, let me build a new arena downtown in partnership with the city, and we will revitalize the area around it. We envision a whole thing, and everyone thought, yeah, good, right, you know, yeah, good luck. We're, we're a city of a million people. We don't think that big
1: graham i'd love for you to speak about one topic here that i think is fascinating here in the united states we get a little gung-ho about arenas and putting public money toward their construction. That's pretty much an accepted practice. You go north of the border, though, I think there is a much greater hesitancy and much more of a belief that these things should be handled overwhelmingly with private funds. I don't think there seems to be the appetite for putting public monies into projects like this. I'd like to ask you why that is, if it is, and if that is changing uh, as we move forward.
5: Good questions. I would almost make a a two-part answer to that. There was a tremendous debate about the city's involvement in the arena. I think in general there is acceptance that arenas are a public amenity. They are like the main theatres in town, like the the main symphony halls, that it occupies that same space in terms of public needs. In Canada, we're more reluctant because it's a slightly, well, one sees the mistakes have been made in the States, and it all comes down to negotiation between whoever wants to be the principal tenant of a new building and the city. And in this case, the deal that was finally struck was simply to say, okay, the city agreed, we will finance this thing, we build it, it'll be city property, but you will operate it, and we have to make sure that there's no increase in city taxes that come from doing this arena.
1: Graham, it's a real pleasure to visit with you. We appreciate so much your taking time to chat on this, and uh, we certainly encourage people to drop by the Edmonton Sun, check out the Hicks Biz blog. Do you have a uh, Twitter handle also that we can pass along?
5: I do. It's it's called at Hicks Biz, H-I-C-K-S-B-I-Z.
1: All right, B I Z. And for those... Oh,
5: yeah, you guys say Z, sorry.
1: Well, but earlier, you were kind enough to uh, change the temperatures to Fahrenheit. I caught that. That was very nice of you to do that. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Graham Hicks, our guest, and what a fascinating story we have here. That's our program for this week. Bill Hazen saying thanks so much for being with us on SB Nation Radio.